0: I'm Classy Earhart. Welcome to Speak Life Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the best things we can give ourselves is grace. Extending grace to ourselves lends us time to find purpose and truth in our lives. Your journey to becoming more inspired to speak life into your fears and your triumphs while manifesting an existence rooted in love and deeply connected to the world around you, begins right now. I am humbled to be able to facilitate a conversation around men and women suffering in silence through miscarriage and infertility. These inspiring women have come together to share their journey through grief and healing with all of us. My hope is that as we open up more conversation and build community and support around this suffering, that you too will discover a path to healing and hope in your own lives.
1: I'll just take you back to the beginning of it. Um, When I was 14, and I'm gonna talk about menstrual cycles, so I'm sorry for people that have others. <laughs> but um, I, when I first started my menstrual cycle, um, I noticed that something was off because my cycles were two weeks long, mm-hmm. and they were really heavy. And but I didn't know any better. So um, later, later on, I completely quit having my cycles, and I was I went to the doctor, and they diagnosed me with polycystic ovarian syndrome. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's a health uh, problem caused by an imbalance of re- reproductive hormones. Um, and um, some of the some of the uh, signs of that it could be that you have missed or irregular menstrual cycles. Um, and and so at that time, um, the reason I went to the doctor was because I didn't have a cycle for like ten months. Mm. Um. So they told me I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, and they. That was pretty much the end of it. They said I needed to lose weight because at that time I was I was uh, sort of obese, I guess, if you mm-hmm. want to say it that way. Um, so um, it wasn't until I was about 20 or 21, I went to a specialist, an endocrinologist, and they put me on metformin ER, mm-hmm. which is actually a diabetic medication. Oh, okay. Um, so they put me on that, and that was supposed to help me my body to I guess uh deal with sugar because it's actually more than just a, a feminine you know type problem like a reproductive problem it actually affects your blood sugar and you end up with insulin resistance oh because, okay wow yeah so it's there's kind of a lot wrapped up in it but yeah. um so I ended up losing weight and I did what they said losing weight and that that helped. And I, my periods over the years didn't tend to get a little bit more normal, mm-hmm. um, but they were never what I would, other people would consider normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, I had done my own research and I'd seen that people with PCOS can have problems with infertility or possibly miscarriages. Um, but I really didn't think that much about it just because, I mean, I wasn't trying to get pregnant, so it was fine. Yeah. Um, so later on I got married. Um my husband, now ex-husband. Mm-hmm. Um he he was aware of my condition and you know I did tell him, you know, I might not be able to have kids. Uh we can try infertility, fertility, you know, treatments and things. Um and he was cool with that. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: we got married. My relationship um was a little unstable with Mm -hmm. him. Um, but it was just very dysfunctional. Um, but in any, in any case, we still, we still tried to have kids. Um, we started, we didn't use any kind of contraception like the whole time we were married. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were not trying to prevent pregnancy. Um, probably about a year after we got married, um, He said, well, this isn't working. What are we going to do? So we went to a fertility clinic in Little Rock and they, they basically said, um, after all the different tests that they, you know, that they administered to me and to him, they said that, that I would have to, well, first of all, they gave me a a Clomid and I Mm -hmm. took that. I can't even tell you how many times. Yeah. Um, I took that and we tried and it didn't. It didn't work, but, um, so they said the next step was for me to get, uh, artificial insemination. insemination. Yes. Mm-hmm. And another factor, um, is that we learned that my husband at the time had a low sperm count. Okay. So that complicated it even more. Yeah. So anyway. So, um, if I, so, so if I just kind of come into that, so in
0: these moments, so we're trying You've taken Clomid, Mm -hmm. then you find out that your husband has his own issues as well that are going to create even more of a struggle through this process. Like what's kind of going on for you through this process as a young woman?
1: Um, I actually, honestly, at that time, I felt a little bit, initially I felt a little better about it because I felt like it's not all just me. Okay. Um, he, however, didn't seem to take it very well. It was almost like he was in denial of it. He did mm-hmm. not want to admit that or acknowledge that that he he was any of the the problem. Okay. Um, and it was really actually became pretty frustrating for me um, later on though because he he would it, it would well it actually hurt hurt my feelings because he would tell people about it that we were doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really want other people to know, but he would tell people and he would tell them about my condition, but he wouldn't tell them about his condition. So Mm. again, like I said, there was some, there were some issues there between us, but, um, that was hurtful. Um, and so for you, what was, what kind of held you back from wanting people
0: to know about it?
1: Um, well, it was embarrassing because just being a woman and that's what, one of the main things we were created to do was have kids and I wasn't able to have kids um or at least I hadn't been able to up to that point um it was embarrassing it also felt like I felt like I was disappointing my family because my sister has a child that I didn't have you know I didn't have a child and so I couldn't I couldn't um build our family by having grandkids for my parents. Um, for myself, it was kind of I think I've been grieving it for a while just through the process of all the treatments that I had to have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but just the fact that I may not ever be able to have kids and every girl wants to have kids. I mean, they think about that, you know, yeah. starting at, you know, six or seven or eight years old, you know? Yeah, we are raised to to think about having a family and yeah, all of that. So Yeah, so that was, that was tough, but I, I had started to come to grips with it, but it was, it was also difficult because I knew that my husband at the time really wanted to have kids and he wanted a big family and I didn't feel confident that I could provide that for him. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, adding another layer to this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, the fertility, the doctors at the fertility clinic had told us that this, going to the fertility clinic was... A family a family thing was a couple's thing, mm-hmm. and at that time, I felt abandoned because he would wouldn't show up for any of my appointments, oh wow, and so that was really tough, yeah, so kind of like you're going through this by yourself, yeah. where's
0: the support? Yes, there was not any support and so not having so not having that support, going through this process, wanting to have the family, but then also at the same time kind of feeling like a failure, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's how I felt. How were you able to to get through that? And one thing that this is this may not be where you're going with it, but yeah, it's fine. Um, one thing that helped with helped me to heal or to begin to heal was after my divorce was final. I filed for a divorce, and that took a lot of pressure off me just okay. to be in a positive environment or to be free of a, an unsupportive negative environment um mm-hmm. and to be able to just focus on me that really helped a lot um mm-hmm. it I actually feel stronger because of it um I for one I don't have to feel um the weight of disappointing other people I, mm-hmm. I've finally been able to make my own decision which is to is to accept that I may that I probably won't have kids um and i know that's for some people that would probably be a depressing thought but for me it actually feels it feels like freedom because i can i mean i can i'm not being being uh, weighed down by the the thought of that i mean like that i mean that i may not be able to have kids yeah. and so that's that's where i think most of the healing has come from is just i can make that decision it's my choice and
0: yeah, and so being able to sit in and out here, like, just being okay with that, mm-hmm. um, and in that independence from disappointing anybody else, their expectations, their want to have a family or grow a family, and so then you can just kind of, so what's that like?
1: The independence? Mm-hmm. Um, it, feels, it feels great. I mean, obviously, there's still, inside, there's still some sadness about not having my own family. Okay. Um, But at the same time, I feel, don't know, I feel empowered to make, to be able to make that decision. I also know that at any moment I could, I could, um, I could adopt or I could go back for treatments if I wanted treatments or something like that. I could do that. So it is, I feel, I feel like it's my choice now.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And without Considering other people you know it's solely my decision
0: yeah and so making sure that you're able to live the life that you want in your truth yes I think that's really empowering in itself I think so too and so do you feel like you being in this empowered position is what continues to help you heal through that process
1: I do um I think sometimes in the past for me i always would consider what everyone else wanted over what i wanted and now that's not that's not you know a factor in this i'm just really curious like when did you realize that you
0: either that you didn't want kids
1: um actually part of the way through the process the fertility clinic i I think I went through the, I think we were there or I was there for a year and a half to two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point I just decided that I, I was just tired of all the treatments, mm-hmm. nothing, you know, nothing was happening. It was emotionally draining to me and especially because I didn't have support. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point I just got tired of it and I wanted to stop, but I didn't because of the relationship. Mm-hmm.
0: So um, being emotionally drained mm-hmm. and just really depleted and trying to cope and process mm-hmm. through all of that all at one time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot.
0: So how were you able – so in that process, what were you doing that got you through it or were you not really getting through it? What was that
1: like? Um, I don't think at the time I really – at the time I think I just – I probably didn't deal with it in the best ways i I kept myself busy was very involved in my church um, and I not that being involved in the church is bad, but mm-hmm. I think that I was doing it and not dealing with really dealing with the issue um, and pro- allowing myself time and space to process to process it fully mm-hmm. um, but my faith did actually help a lot as far as I guess strengthening me mm-hmm. through it. But I don't think I actually dealt with it until just a couple years ago. Okay. And how did how did you go about dealing with it then? Um I wrote about it. Okay. I I just kind of actually wrote a paper about mm. it. Um and that helped me a lot to see that I wasn't alone and there were other people dealing with the same type of thing or similar things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I actually was able to put down to label my emotions, you know, surrounding the the problem, so. Would you mind sharing what those emotions were? Uh, well, there were all kinds of emotions. Uh, sadness, frustration, anger, um... See, impatience. Those are a few of them. Yeah. How did they show up for you? Hmm. I don't really recall how they showed up then. Okay. Because, like I said, I think I distracted myself and yeah. tried not to try to avoid. Yeah.
0: Sometimes it seems like it's easier
1: until it's not. Yeah. yeah. When I when I wrote the paper, I really. I felt that I was allowed to let, to release, you know, some mm-hmm. of that ten-up emotion. Yeah. It was very therapeutic.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Good. <laughs> good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we
0: have to do some of our own work. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not realizing that we might be coping unhealthily mm-hmm. in ways that might be good. Like you said, being in the church, mm-hmm. that's good, mm-hmm. but also realizing that you are using it to mask things that you needed to be dealing with.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um for other women with polycystic ovarian syndrome, I I want to encourage you that if you have it, you can still get pregnant. Um I I don't want you to be dis- discouraged by my story. Um there was actually, like I said, there was actually more than one issue going on medically um but i do know people who have had success several people who've had success with Clomid um mm-hmm. and not you know haven't actually had to go do in vitro or anything like that mm-hmm. and I, so i want you to to know that you know if you have hope to just hold on to that because you you know you you can get through that there are so many instances of that and you know all working out so um but for women who don't feel supported I would, if it's, I would also, I would ask you to take a look at your, at your relationship. Is, is that a relationship that you feel supported in other areas? Um, Is that a relationship that maybe you should, should, should end? I mean, there are a lot of things here, you know, to consider because you shouldn't have to go through that alone Um, and your partner should be your biggest supporter. And so I would ask you to look at that, to look at your relationship and just consider is, is this just them also grieving? Or is this a lack of support throughout the relationship? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, from that point, decide, you know, what's best for you. Um, If, if your, if your partner is just grieving, I would find support elsewhere. Maybe go to a therapist or get involved in a a group at church. Or maybe find a support group online or somewhere of mm-hmm. for mis- uh, women who experience miscarriages and infertility,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, or just family or friend, close friends. Um, but I definitely would 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 uh, have a you know a network of people that you trust that you can can talk to and cry with and that kind of thing. Do you feel like you had that? No, <laughs> okay. I didn't. I didn't talk about. I didn't tell people about it. Really. If I did, I was very vague. Um, cause I also didn't want to embarrass my husband. Um, I didn't want other people. I mean, he wanted to protect himself and I wanted to protect him too. So I really just didn't say much about
2: that. Um, when you invited me to be on, um, it just happened at, I guess the exact right timing because I had just found out that same week that I was, um, I was losing my pregnancy. Oh, wow. Um, it was, I immediately felt called to to talk to you about it. And at the same time, um, I was sorting out, you know, a lot of emotions and processing a lot of of thoughts and questions myself. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm really glad to, to be here and just to kind of share my experience. And I hope that uh, maybe it will help someone else. But yeah, it definitely felt like um it that happened for a reason to me you know i definitely believe in that so um yeah for me my story um the way that i think of, of my story taking place it actually starts you know um back in 2016 when i was planning my wedding with my husband we were engaged planning a wedding and we found out that even though i had an iud we were pregnant um yeah. so it was a Surprise! That was my first attempt. You know, I wasn't trying to get pregnant, but that was my my first experience with pregnancy. Is it happened suddenly and quickly and easily, more easily than I necessarily was planning on. Um, Yeah. So my perception of how to get pregnant is, oh wow, we must just be really fertile people. Um. So we had my son, and man, everything just worked out exactly how it's supposed to. Completely normal happened. You know, just happened in a way that made me think that, gosh, getting pregnant is pretty simple. Um, yeah. So when we decided that we were going to start trying again, it was surprising that it, you know, to me, I thought, okay, I will remove my birth control and we will get pregnant immediately. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's not the way it happened. we uh, tried for several months um, to get pregnant and I was kind of feeling, I think we were on our... It's definitely, I wouldn't call it an infertility struggle um, at all. It's completely a normal situation. But just um, from that perception of it's easy to get pregnant to, okay, now we're trying. And Mm -hmm. it's harder than I thought it was going to be. And then we did get pregnant in the fourth month of trying. And then to find out um, when we went to our first ultrasound appointment um, at nine weeks Mm -hmm. that there was a heartbeat. Um, it was pretty devastating it was a lot more a lot more grief than I knew that there could be or would be and definitely not something that I expected so um, and another thing you know because we had been trying and because we're already married and we had a son we just had no problems with sharing with people that we were pregnant Mm -hmm. because our and we were trying, and it was pretty obvious that you know I'm I'm not drinking when we go out for dinner, so you know yeah. that's that giveaway in my in my lifestyle um, that I'm not going to have a cocktail or a beer or whatever. So we started telling friends and family, and then to have to turn around and, and tell them. In a way, I mean, even though I wasn't expecting to, to have to tell them that we lost our pregnancy, I felt that it was more helpful that I had told people instead of just having to keep it this this secret because it almost feels like in our society that there's this shame attached to it like do mm-hmm. I don't want you to tell anyone. Um some people just don't want to know. Um it's it's kind of a it's a struggle to me and I still have trouble navigating that conversation of telling people sometimes because you know, there are no right words for that person to say and a lot of people don't know, um, how to just sit with you in grief or how to, you know, process it. And it's, uh, gosh, I was, I I have a therapist, so I was talking to my, my therapist about this and she said, sometimes it can feel more like you're comforting the other person than, than them, you know, offering any comfort to you. Not that I need everyone to reach out and comfort me, but, um, just hard to have a conversation, a two way conversation when. Um, they're not sure what to say, and you're not sure what to say, and then again, and we have this grand plan of 2019, you know, we're going to have a baby, and now I'm just kind of lost. I don't really know um, what's going to happen next. And so how were
0: you processing it all?
2: When we went in for the ultrasound on this pregnancy at nine weeks, it was our first time to meet the doctor, Mm. and he actually delivering a baby, so that We're, we're sitting in the ultrasound room and she says, I don't hear, and let me rewind a little bit. We're sitting in the ultrasound room and comparing like my first pregnancy to this ultrasound, suddenly like it, it, things just don't feel right. It just sits really heavy on me. Some suddenly I have this sinking feeling like something's wrong. Um, and then the words that come out of her mouth are, this is baby, but I don't detect a fetal heart tone. And so I'm like, okay. And so I know what that means, but I think I say, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. (laughs) Because it's just, I'm in shock. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, what next? So she's like, well, I'm going to get the doctor because that's their protocol. The doctor comes in and talks to you about it. So she leaves the room and my husband and my son are in the room because we go as a family and we're just kind of looking at each other and he squeezes my hand and, she comes back and says the doctor's delivering a baby. So wow. they're across the room, uh, or across the hall to a room and have us, you know, sit and the nurse will come in and speak to us. And we did actually end up seeing the doctor that day, and he was just so compassionate, um, had a lot of really kind, heartfelt words. Um, so I really felt a good connection with him, which was just a huge blessing, especially after feeling that disconnect from my first doctor. Yeah. I think Important to have a good relationship with your doctor, and I feel like so many women don't even. There are so many women that I know that don't even consider that when they're going to the OBGYN, and they're just like, Oh, yeah, my doctor and I wouldn't really talk. And I'm like, Man, I don't know. I have a hard time not having a good relationship with somebody who's going to be there for the birth of my child.
0: Yeah, it's such an intimate time.
2: Yeah, so I felt really blessed to have him be um, just someone who was so compassionate, and he kind of told us. A few different options, and I was like, "I, I don't know what to do." And he said, "Well, why don't you just take a week, and we'll schedule a follow up appointment, and then you know you'll have some time to process and, and think about it." And and I did, and I, I was really blessed to you know have that time to. I, I did. I went and talked to my therapist, and I talked to a few close friends, and was just better able to kind of start processing that grief. Because for the first twenty four hours, I just think I was in shock, classy. I was. I I didn't know how to take that information and make it make sense. Yeah. Um, As I just was so like, you know, I'm pregnant. I'm, I know how this works. <laughs> I know that. I know all the symptoms. I know exactly how my body's going to handle it basically. And I know in nine months I'm going to have a baby to have that ripped away. Um, was just surprisingly rough. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, so what was it like for you and your husband and your son, like as a family unit processing, processing
2: through that? So luckily, I guess, you know, it's it's a blessing to me that my son is too young to understand. So, so. we had, we had, we had started talking to him um, about like, even before we got pregnant, like, mm-hmm. would you want to have a baby brother or a baby sister just trying to, get the idea into his head of like our family might be growing and you know let's talk about that so we talked to her about that from time to time and he's got we've got friends who have younger babies and so he loves babies and stuff but he had no idea um you know what any of it meant he didn't know that we were pregnant or anything like that yeah. um but with my husband he, he is my rock like I am I just feel so blessed every single day to have him and the relationship that we have um, he, uh, I don't know. He's kind of like my hero. Uh, I know that sounds corny, but he's my support system and he, man, I don't know, I, I don't, he processed his grief. He's so in touch with his emotions. It was hard for both of us, but I really feel like he maybe set him, his emotions aside and just was there to, to listen to me and to back me up and support me and let me know that, whatever I was feeling or thinking it was okay and that we were Mm -hmm. so um I'm really thankful for the relationship and the marriage that we have that we you know whatever whatever's going on in my heart and in my head I just you know I blurted it all out to him and he does the same thing to me so we have a very open conversation and I'm thankful that I had him to lean on um because there were, you know, after after the shock wore off, there were a couple of days when all I could do was cry. Mm-hmm. I would suddenly just start crying. And I'm like, I don't even know why I'm crying right now. But part of it is, you know, you still have all, I still had all these, hor- the pregnancy hormones in my body. Mm-hmm. So my body still thought I was pregnant. And I'm an emotional roller coaster when I'm pregnant. You know, I have, mm-hmm. I have pretty strong emotions when I'm not pregnant, but those hormones really affect me. And so I'll just be you know, watching a commercial and crying. And so having to deal with this at that time, he offered me a lot of grace and helped me offer myself a lot of grace that, you know, it's okay that you're washing the dishes and just blubbering away. Like you're going to get through it. And he would would encourage me to just go sit down and, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah.
0: process like now for you?
2: Yeah. So, you know, my first thought is like, man how do I how do we just start trying again because for one I'm now I'm worried about having another miscarriage where I I wasn't worried about that before and now I'm like oh how is my heart gonna take that and yeah. at the same time like thinking logistically about like well what does this mean for our insurance benefit now because we won't have a baby in 2019 and oh man and that's you know that should be like the least of my worries, but sometimes I think i I go to that because it's a lot easier to think about like medical bills than it is to think about like oh wow i i'm i don't have I'm not gonna have this baby in nine months, and what does that mean for me um, yeah. as a mom and as a person um, so we are but, yeah. you know, we, we still want to expand our family um mm-hmm. but I, I did talk to him and I was like, you know. Especially because we we didn't have we didn't have a miscarriage, right? We have what the doctors call a missed abortion, which is I hate that terminology, but that's the medical word for it when you go in and um your you know, there's no fetal heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So had to then take decide, you know, what's the next step because if we just wait to have a miscarriage, we could be waiting many months and so we did choose to have medical intervention. Um but given all that and, you know, the pressure, the not the pressure, but the stress on my body and the doctor said we can start trying at any point, but we decided to at least wait until past Memorial Day um, and that way give myself more time to kind of continue to process what has happened and, you know, um, get back in that headspace of, okay, let's get pregnant again. So, Uh, after Memorial Day weekend, we decided that we would, you know, put it back on the table to start talking about it. And if we both felt like it was time, then we would start trying again. But uh, it's been actually, it's been really important for me to have this time um, to kind of wade through the emotions and, um, you know, figure out, kind of um, re-strengthen myself to know that I can do this again. have the hope outweigh the fear um, that, you know, we're going to keep trying and we're, we're going to bring another life into the world. You know, we hope to. And, and if we can't, then, you know, that's a, a bridge that we'll cross when we get there right now. We just hold that hope in our heart that, that we will have another baby. So,
0: yeah. So you mentioned two things there that I wanted to kind of touch on. And so like the first part of that was, that it's probably easier for you to focus on medical bills and try to go with more like rational things that you can potentially control than to focus on kind of what this means for you. And, um, like the like, I guess like the resulting beliefs about yourself or your, what what was, what's that process like for you? That's
2: a great question. Um, you know, so I will say I could have, and I think that in a past me would have continued to really beat myself up about, um, you know, my body has done this. And this is something that somehow, you know, if I had just thought more positive thoughts or mm-hmm. if I had, you know, drink more water or whatever, that um, maybe I wouldn't have had a miscarriage, but um I am not, you know, I'm I'm a more positive person now, um, largely, you know, largely because my husband has really, you know, helped me get to that point. But um, between that and taking what he said and just choosing to believe that, and choosing to say, okay, I'm not going to allow myself to go down that rabbit hole. of, You know, what have I done wrong? I'm just going to choose to believe that um, everything happens for a reason and this is happening and there's no way that I could have prevented it. And now I just have to get through it. Um, and it's just going to become another part of my story. So, um, I just chose to, to view it through the frame of, um, things happen and you just have to, what, what you choose to do uh, with, with that is, is your life, you know, Mm -hmm is your narrative. So I'm choosing to write the narrative of, of hope instead of um, despair, although I will say that there was some despair there definitely initially. I think it's so important and helpful to have more of these conversations. Um, and I love that more and more women are opening up to share about this, even though it is one of the hardest things to do and the most necessary things to, to tell someone else mm-hmm. and ask for help when you need the help. But I love seeing this because I know there are some, there are a lot of women out there who just, like I said, with my first pregnancy, maybe they didn't tell anyone and they're just kind of suffering through this alone. Mm-hmm. And I hate to think that anyone is going through this alone. This
0: has been such a deep conversation that I've been navigating and such a personal and intimate experience for myself as well. I have experienced three miscarriages, and the most recent one happening in April of 2019. And it's such a jarring and traumatic experience uh, to go through. And I feel like so many women go through it alone. My doctor even told me that one in three pregnancies result in miscarriage. If we think about that, that is a vast number when it comes to our population. To imagine that one in three pregnancies will result in miscarriage, yet there's not much conversation facilitated around this. How often? Are we sharing this heartache and the trauma with our peers and our friends? And how often are they sitting with us and empathizing with us through this pain? So um,
3: I was never formally diagnosed like before we got married with endometriosis. But I knew that when I was in, like when I first started my cycles, they were so extreme that I would have to be picked up from school because I would be the kid in the bathroom throwing up. They were so heavy. Um, it was every month. I knew that when that, that time of the month came, that it was going to be bad. And I knew that my mother had had bad cycles and my sister had bad cycles. So I just thought I had bad cycles, you know? Um, my mom, my parents were not ones to take us to the doctor for things. We, we did things like at the health food store, like that's what we did. Um, And so um, we didn't go to the doctor for this. This was like, okay, well, you know, we're going to bring you home. We're going to let you rest and that's, that's going to be what you do. So when, when we got married um, in 2008, I thought, great. You know, we want to be parents. We want to wait a little bit, but we know we want to be parents, you know, And we're both on the same track with that. Mm -hmm. And so about after our first year, we completely stopped birth control and just whatever was going to happen was going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, we're pretty consistent that second year thinking, okay, you know something's going to happen, you know, and nothing ever happened. Um, so then I ended up going to the OB's office and I was like, okay, you know, we've been not preventing anything. Is there anything that we need to know? Because I I thought it would just happen. Um, okay. and he told me to start tracking fevers or, or body temperature. Okay. And, and so we kept a journal by the bed every morning. And, um, that's how we tracked ovulation because you know, now everybody's got these fancy ovulation things and we didn't have that back. <laughs> <laughs> So we started tracking um, that way. And um, so we could see where we were ovulating. And um, we had a couple of instances where we thought, all right, this is the month. And, And, you know, for those of you that are struggling with infertility, you know, and you get so excited. And I remember being in Branson and we had gotten away for a weekend and we were in the movie theater and I started And we had to leave and I was just a hot mess because I was like, what is wrong with me? Why is this, why is this so hard for us? You know, so at that point we went back to the OB's office and they started us on Clomid and, um, you know, we were, we were aware of all the things with Clomid. Um, we did Clomid for six months, um, and nothing happened. And so we were like, OK. And so our OB said at this point, you know, as long as you guys have been trying with everything, I'm going to go ahead and um, refer you to the fertility clinic. So we went to the fertility clinic in Little Rock. Um, and if you've been through that process, it's it's very numbing because they diagnose they have to do all these tests Um, they have to diagnose you as infer, infertile. Um, usually your insurance at that point, um, we had really good insurance because I was a state employee at the time and they completely did not cover um infertility. And wow. so once you got that diagnosis, they they revoked any coverage. Oh my goodness. So um they sent us through a series of tests. We found out that we had um some issues with um my husband as well as me. Um they sent me through the HSG test. And they found that I had inflammation in my uterus and in my fallopian tubes. And this is when we found out I had endometriosis and it all made sense because I was like, yes, I had I had horrible periods. Yes, I you know, my cycles were always regular, but I had extreme periods. And that was because of the inflammation. And so that tube was blocked and they decided during the HSG test to go ahead and put a balloon in and see if they could get it to open up. And that was the most painful experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they did that. It did open up and they were hopeful that um, we would be able to have success with IUI. And so um, when you go through that treatment, you're kind of at the mercy of the clinic. Mm -hmm. so they, you know, they'll call you up and they'll say, "All right, today's the day. You know, we're you guys were you got to come in today and we got to do this." So it was like a Saturday morning, and I remember there was so much flooding. We lived just outside of Searcy at the time,
2: mm-hmm. and there
3: was flooding. It was when sixty-seven, one sixty-seven, wasn't like it is now.
0: Oh so you know, yeah,
3: the road would flood really bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go around um, one hundred seven, and like I remember just being like so nervous we weren't going to make it there in time, you know, and we did the the thing. And then um, I had to go in for blood work twice a week, mm-hmm. every week to see what my levels were um, mm-hmm. and, and do all of that, you know, and there's the waiting and the praying and all of that. And so we found out that we were pregnant very early, like five weeks, four weeks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were very like, oh my gosh, is this, this gonna, this gonna be it, you know, because we just didn't know at that point. <clears throat> and so they told us that, Once we were past that 12 week mark, then they would transfer us over to a regular OB. And so we continued doing the, the blood work and everything. And we were so blessed that it, it, it was a successful pregnancy, a successful first IUI. And that was all we had to deal with it. Um, and for the most, you know, uncomplicated pregnancy. Um, but Once you get labeled as infertile and all the things happen, they're like, we were like, this is the only baby we're going to have, you know? And we were so excited because we're like, this is it. This is the only baby we're going to have because we weren't going to pay the thousands that we had paid before to have another child, you know? And so we're like content. Um, But I started doing research on the connection between endometriosis because I still had horrible periods, probably worse after I had um, Reese. nobody told me, you know, there was, there was no one, like you were talking about resources. There was no one that was like, Hey, you know there's some things that we can probably help with you know do 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 some things to help get that inflammation under control mm-hmm. uh, but it wasn't until i did a, a complete like elimination diet of things that cause um, inflammation in the body like dairy's very inflammatory uh, gluten's very inflammatory sugars very inflammatory so i did a complete detox diet not thinking i was going to get pregnant just thinking like something's not right with my body
2: yeah so i
3: did it in line and um I did that detox diet. And that end of that month, I got pregnant, had no idea I was pregnant. Oh, wow. And that was two and a half years after we had our, our daughter. Mm-hmm. And we got pregnant with our middle. And um, I mean, it was it had to have it had to have been during that time that we did the elimination and got the inflammation down. Um, and so then I started looking at okay, like, there is a link here, and like that's the only thing that we changed, you know, and so it really that ended up launching my business with my personal health and wellness stuff.
2: So talk about going
3: from one extreme. To the other, yeah, you know, because I mean, we just prayed and cried out to the Lord, you know, for years for these, this baby. And then, you know, all of this happens and then we're like, oh my gosh, we can't have children. This is insane. Okay. We, we can't have that many children though. We, we, have got to, we've got to
0: reel it in.
3: <laughs> so three was like our, our limit. Like that was it, especially being so close together. Um yeah.
0: So how are you coping and processing through that?
3: So I think the hardest part was that um, most people don't understand
0: mm-hmm. uh,
3: what infertility is like. I know we had a lot of family members that were like, why are you even pursuing this so hard? It will happen when it happens, you know, um, not understanding, you know, what we were really dealing with. And um mm-hmm. uh, and so that was really hard. My husband is amazing. Um, he's a godly man. And he just was like, full of faith the whole time, like this is going to happen, you know, however, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, but I was really, I hate to say blessed or fortunate, because I had several friends going through fertility at the same time as me. Wow. Uh, and so that was like, okay, I'm not alone. Like I I have these other girls. And so that's why I love whenever you said you were going to do this, I was like, yes, because there are so many people who do suffer. Even in my business now, I'll have people that reach out to me and they're like, Hey, I read your story. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to talk to you about what I'm going through. And you have no idea that mm-hmm. they're dealing with it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean all the full spectrum mm-hmm. emotion, you know,
2: absolutely.
0: Is there anything else that you kind of want to share about your journey, about like any resources that you found along the way or just anything that you additionally want to share with women that might be struggling through infertility um, and what it was like for you and and how you were able to really help yourself through that?
3: So the biggest thing for me was that Google was my best friend. Um, And you probably know this, like, I mean, I Googled the heck out of everything, you know, and I was like, okay, you know, and and it would send me down rabbit holes sometimes. But then at some points, it would send me to a place where it was like, this is a good resource. Like, you know, with endometriosis stuff, my doctor never told me that it was related to inflammation, he wanted to mask it with a prescription. And I was like, no, I want to know what's causing this. Like, I want to know why my body is doing this. You know, I don't have a deficiency in metformin. I don't, you know, there's not a deficiency there. So help me understand. So I think the biggest thing is for us to be our own advocate, to be Mm. curious in our health. Um, and for me, knowing you know that the inflammation was the issue, that I was deficient in magnesium, that I was anemic, um, that my gut was way out of whack, those were the things that brought me back to center and continue to now. And it's amazing to me that I, I went from cycles that were so bad where I would just literally black out, pass out, you know, from pain, to I don't even know when my period's coming because my body is now in alignment and has all the things that it needs, you know, so don't be afraid to ask questions, to research, to look, look at things in a different light. Um, we, we did everything from, you know, chiropractic care to health food supplements, you know, and you know, everything that we could possibly think of and and don't underestimate the power of pregnancy. This would have been my third pregnancy. And at the time it was 2016. At the time, I already had two children. I had a two-year-old, I think, or one-year-old, one and a half. I don't know. I forget. Um, and then a uh, not even one-year-old when this happened. Um, so yeah, it just it was one of those things. I was trying to lose baby weight, and then out of nowhere, I found out I was pregnant. And, uh, with my second pregnancy, I had gone through really bad postpartum. And so for almost a year, i had been taking medicines for that. I was on Zoloft. I was on ridiculous amount. And then I I went to the doctor and I think it was going about, about my medicine. And then she made me take a pregnancy test. I was like, I'm not pregnant. (laughs) I'm not pregnant again. (laughs) Nope.
0: Not this time. Not this
3: time. And, um... Then she told me, and it was just like, oh, great. It wasn't very much excitement at Mm -hmm. first. Um, Because it it was really, it was just stressful. You know, I had little children. And then to find out I'm pregnant again. But then, you know, I got excited about it. And um, so fast forward a little bit. Like, I tried to, they, they told me to stop taking my medicine. And then, so I stopped taking it. My PCP told me to. And mm-hmm. then I went to my OB for my first appointment. She's like, no, no, don't do that. You put your body into shock. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. And she freaked out. And so I had to start taking it again. And mm-hmm. that was really hard, too, through the pregnancy, mm. like, taking, being on medicine that I didn't want to be on. Yeah. And it was like, there was problems just kind of, like, through the whole thing. Like, it just didn't feel right. hmm I was trying to trying to be hopeful about it, but it just didn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially
2: after you
0: had already had two successful yeah. pregnancies and so seeing the differences between yeah that and
3: then that's that's where that also comes in is that I have urine didelphis
0: okay so okay so tell us a little bit more about that yeah cause
3: I, <laughs> I, I'm complicated <laughs> yeah
0: because I'm like what is what's that
3: um I found out also I just found out a whole bunch of stuff mm-hmm. about me after I had my second baby um before I got pregnant, I found out that I had, in fact, full uterine di- uterine didelphus. Mm-hmm. And so everything's just, like, split in half, and I have two uterus. The uterus he was in, mm-hmm. I call it my bum uterus. Okay. <laughs> I call it my bum uterus because um, it just, it, it can't carry a baby. Okay. And the cervix is crooked, too. Yeah. so wow. um, I try to think of, like, that might be the reason why. Mm-hmm. Because he was in that uterus, the mm-hmm. one that doesn't work very well, and then my first two pregnancies were in the other one. Wow! Yeah, so I had had Viviana and Francesca in the left side successfully, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were normal sized babies—eight pounds, nine pounds, four ounces. That's big, but they're normal. And then he—he he, he, Luciano—that was his name. Mm-hmm. um was in the right side and so I was like seventeen weeks mm-hmm. and uh things just weren't feeling right yeah it was it was like a Friday and i hadn't felt to move and uh it it, it was like that, that that feeling you know what i'm talking about yeah, that feeling yeah. Where you just know that it's
0: you just know. It. it's it. it's not happening it's,
3: yeah and uh so i went to the ER at UAMS, and I was panicking, and they were like, oh, the baby's fine, the baby's fine, and I and, and I was like, you're lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're lying to me. I knew they were, because he was obviously in fetal distress, and there was nothing they could do about it at oh, that point. Okay. And it, I mean, uh, that's pretty much, I think, what happened. Mm-hmm. There's just nothing they could do, and he was in fetal distress. And I just remember looking at the, looking at the sonogram thing. And mm-hmm. seeing him like moving and kicking around and stuff, and I was just like trying to tell myself it would be fine, but he just didn't look like he was okay. Yeah. And uh, but they they were saying he was okay, but I like wasn't believing them, and so and like, I didn't want to leave, and, yeah. I, and I went home because I had to because they were saying he was okay, so I needed to go and get out of there. And uh, then that Monday, I think, or that Wednesday, with my appointment, mm-hmm. my regular follow up yeah. appointment.
0: And, uh, so, so even before we go into that appointment, I am just, I'm so curious what was going through your mind, what was happening inside of you? Like you've got your doctors telling you one thing, but you're clearly seeing something else and feeling something else. So what was, what was that like for you? How were you processing through that?
3: Inevitable dread.
0: Okay. Yeah.
3: Like when you're watching your favorite TV show and you know, just everything's going to die. (laughs)
0: Mm. (laughs) yeah yeah and this is the end
3: of it all and uh um I just I just had this like I don't think I slept that night I don't think I slept I don't think I have slept very well since then and then I just Was trying to tell myself everything was fine. Mm -hmm. And then I had my appointment. And I will never forget driving to my appointment. I unconsciously were all black that day. Wow. We're all black. And everything just felt so quiet.
0: Wow. So it was like you were preparing yourself for... Yeah.
3: I just woke up and... That's what I put on. I put on a black v-neck and some black pants, and that's just what I wore. Everything was – it was just, like, a silent day before I even got to the appointment.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: And – It was like you
0: were in mourning before you went. Yeah. Like that's – that's like really – Like, something in
3: me, like, knew, and, um, like, he wasn't moving either. Mm-hmm. And so I could li- – it just felt like death, like, my whole – body and spirit and everything just felt so quiet. Wow. And, uh, I was still trying to tell myself everything was okay. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I was still trying to be happy Mm -hmm. and not worried. And then when I got in there and then they like, when they were doing the sonogram, they were quiet and they noticed and then I just like broke down and, uh, when they told me, anybody would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um I just cried drove home the whole way. I almost the whole way home. Yeah, it sounds almost like robotic, like It really was. And I became very robotic after that. Like there's a lot that I don't remember mm-hmm. after that year. Okay. Like I was just so shut down. Mm-hmm. I just shut down emotionally. And i was just like emotionally exhausted um, because after that, well, then you know you have to like make a plan on what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they told me that we'll just go home, and then your body will do its thing. Well, that never happened. Oh, okay. But I slow. It was like I slowly started going crazy, and,
0: and so you're, you're walking me. around yeah.
3: carrying a dead baby inside
0: you, like yeah, a dead
3: fetus, and. Uh,
0: it is the most insane. It's like
3: yeah. feeling
0: and thought. Yeah, and and you know, and like people don't. Sometimes people just don't get that. Like it's just weird. They
3: think it's over. Yeah, but it's not. When you say, "Oh, I've had a miscarriage," it's over. Well, it's not over. It's not
0: over. There's a whole process. Yeah, do it, especially if you don't do a D and C.
3: And I couldn't do so, that either. It had been two weeks, wow. and I had no. I guys, I had no bleeding. I had no pain. I just oh went to the doctor and found out the baby died. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And and just felt death. Yeah. And uh then um so I so it's been 2 weeks and then that's when it really I really start kind of like losing it after the 2 weeks and I was like you got to take me to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Like you're taking me to the hospital right now and I'm mm-hmm. not leaving until they in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they took me, Armando took me, mm-hmm. and I just broke down at the desk. I was like, please, please just admit me. And so Armando's your husband. Yes. Yeah. yeah. My husband, um, Armando, he took me to the hospital, and uh, I, was, I was just crying, and I was like, please, make it stop. Just mm-hmm. make it stop. Mm-hmm. And they admitted me, and then this is where it just, this is like, what is it, two days or a day before my youngest daughter's first birthday.
0: Oh my goodness. And for you to be going through all of that. Yeah.
3: And I, uh, and they admitted me. And so what they did is they, they did IV, all that jazz, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then they started giving me Pitocin
0: mm-hmm.
3: and they tried the, they gave me the pill and then they gave me the one that they put on like in your cervix or okay. on your cervix. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Um, they did that, they did both, and then they, like, kept, I, they just kept trying, and I think it may have been two days or something, or however the longest period that they can keep doing that, mm-hmm. before it was like, okay, they, they asked me if the DNC was okay, and then they were like, well, we can't do that because of the uterine didelphus, oh. there's too high a risk of uh, us puncturing your uterus
0: oh my goodness
3: and uterine uh, uterine wall and causing an emergency hysterectomy basically they no. were like it was like you can't do a dnc because of possible uterine rupture and then it was like we can't do all of these other options basically because you could end up in an emergency hysterectomy and i was like oh wow, this is zero to 100 and
0: uh, yeah because cuz so you're sitting here already carrying yeah like i'd
3: already passed the mucus plug like i had already done that i hadn't dilated um anything or enough or whatever or wasn't dilating like i was supposed to and i was just laying in this hospital bed just like wanting this to be over i just wanted it to be over because i was in i think i was in the regular Mm wing too and so i could there was people with babies and stuff and wow, wow i just remember something i forgot I'll tell you that in a second. Okay. Um, and so, I they they told me we're gonna have to do a C-section. And so I had to have my third C-section. And this is like, this is the part where it gets like terrible. I just remember because you're awake in a C-section, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they have like one arm out to the side with all of the IVs and stuff like plugged in, and then I can't remember my other arm was just like doing whatever. Um, it was on the other side. Mm-hmm. And, uh, normally, like, when you get a C-section, it's, uh, you know, they cut you well open, they do all the stuff, um, and then, like, they take the baby out, and you hear the baby cry. Yeah. Well, it was nothing. And I just heard nothing. And just, like, that quiet, cold room, and, like, being stuck, not able to move on this table, and just silence, I just, I just was hysterical. Yeah. the whole time they had to like I started having a panic attack it was like awful and then they got me back into the room and I the nurses were so sweet they took they wrapped him in a blanket or whatever I didn't hold him mm-hmm. they were like we, we're not going to do it we're not going to bring him to you because you're, I mean, just you're already in hysterics like wreck. that is you're a wreck like we're not going to do this to you and so they did take my phone and take pictures
2: mm-hmm.
3: um and uh I didn't look at them for a while. And then they brought me a little stuffed animal that was, like, the same size as him, a little elephant. I still have it. When they made him a bracelet, like, a bracelet with the name, his name on it, yeah. I was on the normal birth name. And so then another woman came in, but mm-hmm. she had her baby.
2: Oh. And it was, like, they couldn't
3: help it because right. there was, like, that was the room that I had to be in. They couldn't – there wasn't a private room available at the time. Yeah. And I had just gotten out of surgery, and they were, like, really sorry. Like, we have nowhere else to put
0: her. And it's like, even if, you know, even through being so understanding with that, it yeah. doesn't make it any less no, hard and no. difficult it really and painful. And I
3: was trying to be understanding, and I was, and I stopped crying as loud, because I was also not alone anymore, and I don't, I didn't want, like, them to
2: see
1: that. So, in
3: total, I was there five days. Wow, okay. I was in the hospital five days, and then I had to recover for, from the C-section. Yeah. And, um...
0: You're like trying to recover physically, like there's even promoted, more so physically. than you would yeah, from a DNC like, or a natural miscarriage. Man, I would have just totally been okay with
3: a natural miscarriage. Oh my god! Like, I, it just is the fact that I couldn't. I mean, I know like a year of just kind of emotionally spiraling out of control, issues with medicine. At the end of the at the end of the year, I had been on I think like I think I've been taking like 14 different things a day. Oh, my – wow. Because I have IBS, too. Oh. And then I was having, like, panic attacks. I couldn't be around anyone. How would you say you're doing now? I feel like I'm doing phenomenally better. Mm-hmm. There's still times where it just hits me really hard, like his birthday. And then the day that I – the day that he actually, like, I had the C-section. And then the day that – what he, his due date are both really hard days. Um, and, uh – yeah, it's just little things here and there will crop up and, and, and bite me. But yeah, overall, I feel like we, we talk about it.
0: and Sometimes it's very difficult to even think about um, where I'd be, that I'd have three sweet little babies, or at least right now that I'd still be in my pregnancy. And it's been difficult. It's hard. We found out that we were pregnant in February. It was hard for my husband and I because we had already miscarried once in 2017. And sometimes you find it really difficult to try to get excited because that fear is still back there lingering in the shadows telling you that you're not going to be okay and this is not going to work out the way that you hope and you dream and I just remember sitting, sitting him down and telling him that I just, I just want to experience this th- with the joy that we should be able to experience this pregnancy with. Even though we were in and out of the hospital and uh, doctor's visits, ultrasounds, blood work every week with a high-risk pregnancy, I was determined I was absolutely determined to be grateful and to try to be joyful with this pregnancy, come what may. And that was really, really difficult for me um, between being a full-time graduate student, running my own business, going through the emotional ups and downs that comes with hormonal changes, plus just the incessant fear that the bottom's gonna drop and the worst of the worst is going to happen. And it did, again. I'm not here to tell you how to support someone. All I can do is tell you my experience. And with this being my third miscarriage, it felt different. It felt unreal. I, this is the furthest I've carried. We carried to... Eleven weeks, and I chose to do a natural miscarriage. A D and C for me seemed so impersonal, and it seemed like I was almost having an abortion, even though I knew my baby was gone. I could feel it, and but I just I, I needed to do it the natural way. And what people don't understand is. It's not just a miscarriage and then you're done. The process is so long and painful. It took me two and a half weeks before I actually started miscarrying and passing anything. And then from that process, it took two and a half more weeks before the cycle was finally complete. And when you and when i think about that i find such pain in it self care is so important and not to say i didn't i didn't try or i didn't actively practice self care but with so much going on and so little time in and out of the doctor it's so much to consume and digest and it was hard And it's still hard. And to experience that three times is a hard pill to swallow. And in the midst of it all, people not knowing how to show up for you, people not knowing how to be there for you, and some not even doing it at all or attempting. This was one of the most jarring experiences. For me, I cried silently a lot. I think I know actually that this year in this time, it's the most that I've said sorry probably in my entire life, at least for what I can recall. I most certainly was not my best self working and running my business, that was difficult. And along with the time constraints and needing to provide self-care and becoming more and more lethargic and going through the bodily changes and the hormonal changes, it was almost beyond what I can put into words. I had to then be vulnerable with those around me And be okay with sharing the pain that I was going through, the sorrow, the mourning, the guilt, the despair, the frustration, the anger, the sadness, and how it would all come in waves. Each miscarriage, it gets a little bit harder. You never know what someone's going through and how deeply it affects them. Sometimes there's never enough words to heal the wounds that loss and grief leave us. But showing up, even to sit in silence, Can make a difference no one should suffer in silence I'm Classy Earhart and you've been listening to Speak Life Conversations the podcast you can follow Classy Earhart on Facebook and Instagram and if you haven't yet go to Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate and review this podcast join me next week For another Speak Life conversation, thank you for listening.